Hello and welcome to the Automotive News Europe podcast for February 17th, 2022. I'm your host, Doug Bolduck, Managing Editor at A&E. Thanks so much for joining us. The chip crisis has put automakers in a very unfamiliar position. They have had major trouble getting enough semiconductors to keep their assembly lines running. Stellantis CEO Carlos Tavares blames Tier 1s for the problem, saying the crisis has fractured relations between automakers and suppliers. Supplier expert David Opsal says that position is off-base. The CEO of software company Actify, which helps Tier 1s better manage their automotive programs, believes the real issue is that the relationship between automakers and suppliers isn't set up to handle such an unprecedented situation. Hi, Dave. Thanks so much for joining us today for the Automotive News Europe podcast. Glad to be here, Doug. Thanks. Dave, if I could, I'd like to get started with a question about Stellantis. Because Stellantis CEO... Carlos Tavares recently blasted suppliers for the chip shortage. Is his frustration common? Uh, the CEO at Stellantis, I think, uh, is got his frustration a little bit misplaced because one of the things that's really at the root of that is, is that the uh, OEMs are accustomed to dealing with what I'd call a captive supply chain meaning that the suppliers have maybe at best a dozen customers that they work with at any one point in time. And the OEM is really dictating what's happening in that relationship. Uh, So that gives them a lot of control over uh, managing quantities of uh, purchases, that sort of thing. And when it comes to dealing with standard components, there's never been a shortage problem before. And so there's been no reason for the OEMs to actually think that they have a different problem when trying to source those materials. And where I think the Stellantis CEO is a little bit off base is is that the fact that the suppliers own the responsibility for sourcing those didn't make it their problem. You know, this is an exceptional set of circumstances. And the real issue is, is that the relationship between the companies, between the supplier and the OEM, isn't set up to handle an unexpected exception like it is that we've experienced. Nobody could have predicted this at all. And there's some things in the supply chain that really prevented them from being able to manage this event better than they have. And could you give us some insights into what can or should be done to help improve relations, in particular with relation to the semiconductor shortage? Sure. I think there are a couple of things that could be done tactically, but I think the first thing that has to happen is that the OEMs have to realize is that the leverage situation is changing. And I think it's changing for a couple of different reasons. Um, One of them is that the automotive suppliers uh, deal with programs. So every time a new model is introduced, you know, you construct a program around sourcing what's needed to be able to deliver that vehicle. The number of those programs in the marketplace has exploded largely because of electrification. So you have suppliers now who have choices about who they do business with. We talked about the small number of customers that any one automotive supplier might work with. There's a raft of new entrants coming in, 
and there are efforts to electrify existing product lines at the current OEMs. There's new electric vehicles from those OEMs. Those are all opportunities for the OEMs and the suppliers to have different relationships than what they've had in the past. And this is the time for them to sit down and start to figure out how is it that we can work differently. So I'll give you one example. We all know that the automotive industry has been driven largely by the Toyota production system. So the whole notion of just-in-time inventory, down to the point where components are manufactured in plants that are in proximity, in a lot of cases, to the OEM's final assembly point, and they sequence those parts just to arrive only when they're needed on the assembly line. So what you don't have is any sort of resilience in that, in that supply chain to be able to absorb an unexpected event. So there are things like the notion of buffer stock, which means having some amount of stock that you know you can draw on to absorb fluctuations in availability. But if you do not have a relationship with a supplier that says who bears the cost of carrying the inventory, which is the whole reason why just-in-time is there to begin with, then there's no, there's no way to, to do that. Neither party is going to accept the risk of carrying that alone. So that's something that has to be negotiated out. And I think that's an important component of changing the relationship between those companies. What would you say have been the most positive lessons that the industry has learned from the chip shortage? There's a manifold number of lessons. I can pick a couple, I think, that are interesting. Uh, there are some OEMs who have collaborative relationships with suppliers now. This is a fairly common story that I hear. But there are also OEMs who continue to hold on to that sort of mentality that we were talking about from, you know, the 20-some years ago in the GM year, where you know, the uh, material shortage or the volatility in the price will will occur, the supplier sits down with the OEM and says, we need to work something out. And the answer from the OEM is, you have a contract. That's your problem, your responsibility. Where are my parts? And that's not something that's going to serve either party well at all. There has to be more connectivity in the supply chain between the OEMs and the suppliers. That's another area we're going to see a lot of attention paid to. Uh, I think the biggest lesson, though, Doug, is is that there is a uh, we talked about programs earlier, and uh, there's a very interesting phenomena that we discovered there, which is what we're focused on now, and that is is that programs are the program management when when a supplier says to an OEM, I'm going to deliver X amount of this product at this price according to this schedule to you. They often do not have all of the deep, most of the details worked out about how they're actually going to get that done. And what they've used to manage that whole activity, which takes place over about the first six to 12 months before full production occurs, is they just use simple office tools to try to keep all the various pieces of this uh, all connected up and all tied together and keep everybody informed about is the program on track, are we meeting our cost targets, and so on. And the increase in the number of programs that we talked about earlier has stressed that, that particular situation to the point where it's breaking. 
And so the need for them to be able to uh, transform the way they do program management, I think is uh, probably the biggest lesson that's come out of all this. When you talk about changing the program management, is this an opportunity for digitalization and perhaps AI to play a role? No, that's exactly right. I mean, it's a perfect opportunity for that. Uh, it is largely done with spreadsheets today, and the lack of scalability there uh, is just one of the problems of using that. Another thing that they don't have uh, in, in that particular case is, even though you could argue a spreadsheet is digital, there is no history about what happened on any previous program other than what's in the heads of the people that are involved in program management. So it's, it's the institutional knowledge is what's not captured digitally. And in terms of the opportunity for AI, what you have is if you can capture all of the program history over a period of time, that starts to become uh, a data asset that you can leverage to try to improve the quality of the quotes that you deliver. So it may not be obvious to all of your readers, but many times what happens is the OEMs approach uh, one of the suppliers or a set of their key suppliers when they're thinking about launching a new program and they ask for, they make a request for quotation and you're given about two weeks generally to respond to that RFQ. Well, you cannot make all the decisions that you need to make you know, for something complex like an automotive vehicle, you know, in a period of two weeks, no matter what piece of that vehicle that you have. So you're relying a lot on that institutional knowledge to commit you to a price and schedule that you can actually, you know, maintain. And that's just becoming next to impossible for these companies. What's your take on the recent announcement from BMW that it has reached an agreement with a semiconductor maker and foundry to guarantee its chips? Is that the future or just a one-off? You know, I saw that, Doug, and I'm not really sure I have a point of view yet on where that's going to go. Uh, you know, one part of me thinks that uh, that's the most intelligent way to tackle the problem. It, it actually gives BMW the opportunity to drive costs down because they can aggregate sourcing some of those items. Uh, but I think that most of uh, what they are, are referring to are some of the standard kinds of semiconductors we were talking about earlier. And that could help them out a lot. The other part of me thinks they don't believe the supply chain has the ability to manage this. In other words, it's a bit like the Stellantis CEO. Since the supply chain's not a reliable or trustworthy partner in terms of sourcing this stuff correctly, we're going to take that on. If they don't know or understand how the dynamics of that relationship works between them and the semiconductor manufacturer, they're going to be in trouble. But if they're able to get firm commitments, it's probably going to help both parties out. My hope is, is that that's actually an improvement, and we may see more of it, but I it could go either way. Dave, thanks so much for joining us today on the Automotive News Europe podcast. Thanks, Doug. Glad to be here. We reached David Opsahl at his U.S. office in Bend, Oregon.
If you have an idea for a future podcast or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to me at dbolduck at autonews.com. For breaking news, please visit europe.autonews.com. You can listen to this podcast and a wide range of others from the Automotive News Group on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play, or on our website at europe.autonews.com. That wraps up this episode of the Automotive News Europe podcast for February 17th, 2022. I'm your host, Doug Bolduck, Managing Editor at a &E. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you'll tune in again next week.